Now, almost two-thirds of South Africans believe corruption is increasing in the country. And 70% of the 2019 Global Corruption Barometer for Africa. It was released this is the second podcast of CPLO, the Catholic Parliamentary Liaison Office, based in Cape Town, South Africa. Held on the 13th of March, 2020, and entitled The Need for an Anti-Corruption Commission. News of our events and our podcasts can be accessed via our website at cplo.org.za. Please sign up for our newsletter. This series of roundtables and podcasts is supported by the Hans Seidel Foundation. We are proud to contribute to the National Dialogue on Governance and Democracy. The roundtable was introduced and moderated by Mike Pothier, and the two speakers were Advocate Paul Hoffman, Director of Accountability Now, and Lawson Naidu, who is the Executive Secretary of the Council for the Advancement of the SA Constitution, KSAC. Full biographies of the speakers appear on our website. All right, thank you very much. Nice to see lots of advice office and community organizations because you're the people who pick up the results of corruption right there where it is hurting people in the community. So everyone, very, very welcome. Without any further ado, I'm going to ask Lawson Naidu to speak to us. Well, firstly, thank you to uh, CPLO and the Hans Seidel Foundation for arranging this, uh, this roundtable here this morning. Um, this is both an important topic, but also a, a very broad and wide-ranging wide one. So uh, we shall try and do our best to, to hone in on, on, on the specific issue about the need for a new set of institutional arrangements uh, to deal with the scourge of corruption in South Africa. And perhaps by way of introduction, uh, what I'm going to talk about today stems from a piece of work that CASAC did uh, nine years ago. Just after we were established in 2010, the first major piece of work that we embarked upon was an analysis of the constitutional and legal framework to combat corruption in South Africa. And we produced a report in March of 2011. I think, Paul, it was just a few days before the judgment of the Constitutional Court in Glenister II. 17th of March was the, yeah, was the uh, judgment. Yeah. And I think we released this report on the 11th of March. And uh, coincidentally, many of the, uh, or the, the approach that we took in the, in the paper that we, we prepared uh, was, uh, was uh, mirrored by what the Constitutional Court said in Glenister II. Uh, so I'm going to go through some of that in terms of the background, the kind of current institutional arrangements that we have, um, where I think they fall short and why we need a different approach. Um, to combating corruption in South Africa. This was certainly very relevant in 2011, but given what we know in the intervening nine years, and what we're continuing to learn on a daily basis from the Zondo Commission, from the 995-page report of the PIC Commission yesterday, uh, and very, uh, the Nugent Commission that completed its work a while ago, um, we know an awful lot more about corruption, as we called it back in 2010 or 2011, and what has now become known as the phenomenon of state capture that has taken root in South Africa. Given where we are now and what we now know, it's quite clear that the current institutional arrangements have been ineffective in combating corruption or state capture. And therefore, we really need to now, given the the urgency of the issue, the, the, the depth of how state capture has impacted, as Mike said, on socioeconomic conditions in the country, the ability of us to live up to the, the goals and the dreams of the Constitution, the economic uh, constraints that we face, are all a product of our failure to effectively deal with corruption. So we really need to apply our minds to what it is that we need to do differently to make a, make a significant change in this regard. It's quite clear, as the Glenister judgments have confirmed, that international conventions, the Constitution itself, require the establishment of an independent 
Anti-Corruption Agency to combat corruption both by prevention and law enforcement. And where I agree with Paul is in the establishment of a dedicated, independent anti-corruption agency. The sort of legal form that, uh, that might take, um, we, can, we can debate, but I think there can be very little doubt that that is what we require. So in South Africa at the moment, we have a range of bodies that have some sort of mandate to address corruption. So we have the South African Police Service as probably the first port of call uh, as the body that is uh, mandated to investigate breaches of the law um, and to uh, bring those dockets to the National Prosecuting Authority. Within the SAPs, we have the DPCI, the Directorate for Priority Crimes Investigations, better known as the Hawks, which subsequent to the Glenister judgments is government's answer to establishing uh, a sufficiently independent corruption-fighting agency. Now, we can have debates about whether they're sufficiently independent or not, uh, but I think we can all agree that they have not been effective in combating corruption. Then we also have the Special Investigating Unit, uh, which is a, a, an institution set up under statute, uh, but which can only investigate matters on the basis of a presidential proclamation. So it's, it cannot be said to be independent because it ha has no original powers except those granted by the president as the head of the national executive. We also have the asset forfeiture unit, which sits within the National Prosecuting Authority. We also have the Financial Intelligence Center, uh, again, another statutory body which has a mandate to identify the proceeds of crime and to combat money laundering and terror financing in tandem with banks and other financial institutions, not just within South Africa, but across the globe. Then in terms of our Chapter 9 institutions, we have the offices of the Public Protector and the Auditor General. And we know that these are independent institutions established under Chapter 9 of the Constitution, and they also have important investigating and monitoring roles when it comes to maladministration in the public sector. But it is important to note that their primary function is not to investigate corruption. It is to look at maladministration. And there has perhaps been a bit of jurisdiction creep in that regard, particularly with regards to the Office of the Public Protector. And I don't limit this to what has happened in the three years since Advocate Inkwabani has been the public protector. It was happening before that. Uh, and it's something that we perhaps turned a blind eye to because it suited us at the time. And because the primary institutions that were there, the Hawks in particular, were ineffective, issues then went to the Office of the Public Protector for investigation. So we've expanded that um, role, but it's not a primary function. Then we also have National Treasury, which has significant powers of prevention, as it is tasked with prescribing the frameworks and systems in terms of which organs of state manage public finances. There are also some multi-agency uh, initiatives that have uh, taken root. So we have an anti-corruption interministerial committee, which was established in 2014 to coordinate and oversee the various state organs that are fighting corruption. We also have an anti-corruption task team that was established in 2010 as a central body mandated to give effect to government's anti-corruption agenda and brings together various um, uh, of the agencies that I mentioned earlier, the SAPs, the Hawks, the NPA, SIU, uh, etc., etc. Then there was also a multi-agency working group that was established to deal with procurement issues specifically. That was established in 2009. Then we also have a, the Public Service Special Anti-Corruption Unit that was established to enhance and consolidate the fight against corruption in the public service. This has now been uh, succeeded by a, a body called an Ethics, Integrity and Disciplinary Technical Assistance Unit established in terms of the Public Administration Management Act. That's the body that you'll probably be familiar with uh, because it is headed at the moment by Robert McBride. 
So this is the range of issues that we have in place. And perhaps let me just pause at this point to, to highlight something from the National Development Plan. Um, in the um, diagnostic report and the draft of the National Development Plan, there was a proposal to establish an independent anti-corruption agency. And then somewhere between that draft NDP and the final version, the Planning Commission reverted to saying, no, 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 we, uh, we, we, we've changed our minds, let's stick to this multi-agency approach. And therefore they endorsed the existing multi-agency approach. But it's interesting that there was that change of heart within the uh, National Planning Commission at the time in 2011-2012. Then there have been a couple of recent developments uh, in the anti-corruption space. The first of which is this new investigative directorate that has been established within the uh, prosecuting authority by President Ramaphosa by proclamation a year ago in terms of the NPA Act. It has features that are similar to the now disbanded Scorpions unit. It's not a, a replacement of the Scorpions, but it has some similar features. And it has been tasked with investigating allegations being made at the Zondo Commission, the Commission of Inquiry into Governance at SARS, as well as uh, the recent uh, PIC uh, report that I mentioned just now. Um, and I think the very establishment of this investigating directorate points to the ineffective of the existing mechanisms. Because why would you set up a new agency when you have this whole, this range of agencies unless those agencies are not able to do what, it, what the law and the constitution requires them to do? So there's an, an acknowledgement from the president himself that the current institutional arrangements are not sufficient to combat corruption and state capture. Then we also have a new SRU tribunal that was established uh, last year. It came into effect, I think, in October of last year. And that's uh, established specifically to deal with civil matters and in order to fast track the recovery of funds lost to the state from corruption or irregular expenditure. Um, in addition to that, we now also know that the, uh, um, the Auditor General has greater powers uh, in order to, uh, to uh, seek enforcement of uh, maladministration or uh, um, follow up on maladministration in, uh, within organs of state and government departments. So we've got this range of uh, initiatives and institutions in, in, within um, the South African context, and yet we are failing and continue to fail to deal effectively with, uh, with, with corruption and state capture. I don't need to remind you of the fact that you know, there's a huge amount of public frustration at the fact that almost no one involved in uh, large-scale corruption or state capture in recent years is facing charges as yet. I mean, there are one or two exceptions. There's um, the former mayor of Itaquini, Sandile Gumede, who's uh, facing charges. There's the former um, state security minister, Bongani Bongo, who's facing charges. But it hasn't gone beyond that. And there's a, there's a level of frustration that's building up, understandably so, that we're not acting swiftly enough, despite the political rhetoric that we hear uh, is not being matched by the action. So we identified four uh, challenges, four key challenges within that existing framework. First, that despite all of these institutions that I've uh, uh, mentioned, um, effective action is not being taken. Disciplinary proceedings against public servants, for example, are, are still rare, as are criminal prosecutions. You know, according to the uh, SRU, the major majority of cases that the unit referred to the NPA in, in the uh, recent few years have not gone anywhere, have been left to gather dust. Now, there has been a renewal of that process. There's a much better relationship between the SRU and the NPA now, and cases are beginning to come forward but it's taken a long time and it shows the institutional uh, dysfunction uh, that existed before that. Prosecutions for violations of the PFMA, the Public Finance Management Act, are almost unheard of, despite that act having very severe uh, responsibilities on executive authorities, on accounting officers, little action is taken. 
ethical codes of conduct for parliamentarians, members of the executive and civil servants often do not seem to be properly enforced. So, you know, one can go on and on in that regard. So the institutional arrangements are, are, are not uh, cohering and the, and the battle against corruption is therefore compromised. Secondly, there is no institution in South Africa with a clear mandate to educate the South African public about corruption, its effects, the awareness about corruption, and to conduct public campaigns of, of any kind. That responsibility is left to people like you and I that are in this room today. We do that work, but there's no agency that has a mandate to do that. Thirdly, and despite international constitutional obligations to establish an independent agency to combat corruption, none of the bodies that I've mentioned, whose primary mandate is to address corruption, is clearly institutionally independent. Although the Public Protector and the Auditor General are technically independent, their primary mandate, as I've said before, is not to combat corruption. The SAPs, the Hawks, even the AFU, who all bear some resp responsibility in this regard, are in some way or the other accountable to the executive. Fourthly, <clears throat> public trust in our law enforcement institutions is very low. It, it, it began to recover recently with uh, some changes in the uh, personnel at some of these key institutions. But as I said just now, levels of public frustration with, with effective action continue to mount. And as the Constitutional Court said in the Glenis 2 case with regards to public confidence, and this is worth repeating from the judgment, and I quote, public confidence in mechanisms that are designed to secure independence is indispensable. Whether a reasonably informed and reasonable member of the public would have confidence in an entity's autonomy protecting features is important to determining whether it has the requisite degree of independence. Public confidence that an institution is independent is a component of its independence. So public confidence is critical and we're certainly failing that test. We therefore, on the basis of that, proposed that there should be a dedicated anti-corruption agency established, what some like to call the single agency model, uh, with the mandate to combat corruption by following a three-pronged strategy. The first being enforcement, which includes the investigation of corruption and the referral for prosecution. There are some models, like with the Scorpions, that combine the investigation and prosecuting uh, responsibilities within a single agency, but that's a debate one we can also have as to whether they should be together or separate. There are arguments uh, in, uh, on both sides of that. Its second uh, prong of its strategy is uh, to prevent corruption, and thirdly is the issue I've mentioned just now of public education. And we believe that such an institution, if properly funded and well-staffed, will enable effective action to be taken against corruption. In the report that we, uh, we released in 2011, the title of that was, I think, significant, because we said it was corruption towards a comprehensive societal response. So it's not just setting up an agency and saying, go off and do the work. We all have a responsibility to play in that regard. As citizens, as civil society, as business, as labor, uh, and other stakeholders. So we all need to take responsibility for that. We note also that there is no, no single, there's no silver bullet or single best model internationally for fighting uh, corruption. International practice varies um, as to whether it's better to establish a single agency or the multi-agency approach that we're currently pursuing but what the key issue that uh, runs across all of these, when you try and assess the effectiveness of any model, ultimately it depends on one concept and one concept alone, and that is political will. You can put together any institutional mechanism you like. And the other thing Mike asked us to do was to look at some of the examples of um, countries in Southern Africa who have independent anti-corruption commissions. And I've looked at them. Um, Namibia, 
I was I was with a colleague from Namibia yesterday, from the Institute for, Institute for Public Policy Research in Namibia yesterday, and was talking to me about that inst uh, that institution, which was set up in 2006, has had one director since then, who's been in office ever since. Uh, very very close to the leadership of SWAPO, and it's been totally ineffective, and yet it has solid constitutional basis, as it does in Zimbabwe, in Kenya. But would we say that that model has, is working? Clearly not. And the reason it's not is that the political will is not there. And that the leadership of those organizations, even though the appointment processes are very uh, carefully prescribed, in, in some cases, not all, in some cases they are appointed by the president, uh, but even where the, the appointment processes are open, competitive, and transparent, we find the wrong people being appointed. And I need to perhaps say no more about the processes that led to the appointment of our current public protector as to how uh, seemingly open and transparent processes can lead to uh, unfortunate consequences. Let me leave it there. Um, so, you know, it's quite clear that uh, if we don't have the requisite political will to tackle corruption, uh, it's, it's simply not going to happen. And therefore, we, as broader South African society, have a responsibility to ensure that the political pressure is there to enable us um, to push forward for this idea of a dedicated, independent, truly independent anti-corruption agency. Now, I'm not going to talk about what the components of that agency ought to be and so on. I'm going to leave that to uh, Paul to deal with, um, with his, uh, what, Stirs model. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, let me just, uh, in conclusion, you know, touch on a couple of uh, uh, aspects that I think are important, but just to emphasize where um, uh, some of the key issues. So independence of the institution and the head of the institution is obviously critically important. And the factors that contribute to the independence of such an agency would be its legal basis, <coughs> whether it be in, in terms of statute or a constitutional institution, uh, its institutional placement in terms of uh, to whom does it account, uh, because whilst they are independent, they have to also be accountable. And how do we ensure that accountable, accountability? That's a critical um, aspect of it, the appointment, as I say, of the head of the institution, as well as the processes involving the head of the, uh, the appointment of personnel to that agency. They also need to have a clear legal basis, which is set out, as I say, in statute, uh, to cover its mandate, its functions, its jurisdiction, powers and responsibilities, in including its investigative powers, powers of search and seizure, etc. Its relationship with other bodies, uh, particularly its relationship with uh, the prosecuting authority, as, as well as with other agencies that have some uh, anti-corruption mandate. So I want to uh, perhaps uh, conclude by reflecting on, 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 the mod on the sort of single agency model that is probably most well known globally, and that is the, the Hong Kong model, which took root in the, in the early 70s, where Hong Kong was probably facing the kind of crisis of large-scale corruption that we're, we're now facing uh, in the realm of state capture, where the police service in Hong Kong in particular was totally compromised. Uh, and they introduced uh, a single agency model, uh, which coincided with something that uh, I'm sure will come up in discussion, so I'm not going to reflect on it now, but it's this proposal that came out last week for an amnesty um, for, uh, uh, for those who have been involved in state capture. But in Hong Kong, they used the model of the amnesty together with establishing the Independent Cor uh, Commission Against Corruption. But there are some features, and you know, I'm certainly not advocating that we replicate the, the Hong Kong model here, or in fact any other model. We need to create a, uh, an institutional design that is suitable and appropriate for South Africa. So we can take bits from others, but it's not a copy and paste job. But there are some things that are interesting in Hong Kong. For example, there are five citizens' committees that provide advice and monitor the, uh, the activities of that commission. One committee advises the Commissioner on policy, another advises on corruption prevention, a third on education, 
and a fourth on public complaints against officers of the Commission itself. So they're not left to investigate themselves without anybody else having a peek inside. And then very importantly, a committee of citizens oversees decisions to close investigations. So the Commission have a, has a responsibility to investigate every single complaint that comes there. Now that can be a, obviously a very onerous responsibility, but they've created a filtering mechanism where they do a preliminary assessment, but any decision to close an investigation must be approved by the Citizens Committee. So that you can't have a, a high-profile case that suddenly disappears because it's politically inconvenient to do so. So I think civilian oversight in some form of another or another would be a valuable addition to the institutional response to corruption and state capture in South Africa. It would enhance the legitimacy of the system and undermine the perception that any institution is simply beholden to vested political, uh, uh, political interests. Another key aspect of uh, political will is making available adequate resources for an agency to do its work. So you can create this fantastic architecture, whether legal or constitutional, but if you don't give them the money to do the job, it's going to be a white elephant. So, you know, making available sufficient resources is a critical component of that. And, you know, I think we can take pride in the fact that in recent times, the President and the Minister of Finance have announced significant improvements to the budgets, of, to the NPA, to the Hawks, to the SRU. So we're beginning to see some movement there uh, with regards to the political world. And that, I think, gives us an opportunity to exploit the political climate at the moment, to push forward this argument for, for a, a change in the institutional uh, arrangements that we have in place. Um, whatever mechanism we put in place, we all have to still take responsibility for doing that. Um, in terms of, you know, if we set up such a, a, an independent, dedicated agency, civil society has an important role to play, perhaps as part of these sort of oversight committees that I've mentioned, but also monitoring the work of, of such a body. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it is our vigilance as ordinary citizens, as organized civil society, that will make sure that whatever mechanism we put in place will be effective. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming. Thank you for the invitation, uh, Mike. Thank you for the sponsorship, Marlena. Um, I think uh, Lawson has really uh, stolen much of my thunder. <laughs> and we can take an early adjournment. <laughs> but but I'm, not, I'm, I'm not lost for words. I, I think that the, the I want to, to leave you with three words and one acronym. And in order to get to the three words, I'm going to ask a series of questions for you to, to ponder. Why is it that so many young people do not have jobs in South Africa? Why is it that the Proteus cricket team loses so often until the Australians got here recently? Why is it that so many people live in informal housing in a country in which access to housing is promised in the Constitution? Why is it that the healthcare system is in such a mess? Why is it that the trains do not run on time? Why is it that we are subjected to load shedding? There's a three-word answer. You all got the word corruption in your mind. What are the two missing words? Corruption with impunity. That is the problem, the impunity. Corruption is everywhere at all times. It's part of the human condition. But corruption with impunity is our real political problem today. If we cannot get to grips with corruption with impunity, we are going to continue 
on the downward spiral on which we find ourselves for the simple reason that South Africa is a country that needs to be able to attract new investment that will create the jobs, that will build the houses, that will fix the hospitals, that will attend to all of the social ills that we suffer at the moment. And the trust and confidence required to persuade both local and foreign direct investment to actually occur is not going to be generated while people are concerned that corruption with impunity is still the order of the day in South Africa and remains the order of the day in spite of the fact that Jacob Zuma is facing uh, charges of corruption dating back to things that he did uh, in a previous century or certainly uh, before 2005 when he was uh, dismissed as Deputy President of South Africa but not as Deputy President of the ANC. That was when Shabir Sheikh was one of the, those rare birds who actually went to jail briefly for his corrupting Jacob Zuma. Now, in order to get to the happy state in which corruption with impunity is hauled in, is, is uh, dealt with, we need to generate the political will to make the changes that are required. And in South Africa, we are blessed with a constitutional court which was able to, to mirror the work of, of CASAC in its findings in the Glenister decision of the 17th of March. The Catholics in the room will tell you that that is um, St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day is when we got the gift of the, the blueprint for the reform of the South African anti-corruption machinery of state. I'm going to call the anti-corruption entity the ACE because that way we will get to lunch much sooner. Anti-corruption entity takes a long time to say. ACE is a much shorter uh, word. And for those of you who play cards, you know that ace is the most valuable card in the pack, yes. and therefore an ace is something for us to aspire to have and to use and to play um, in, in, the, in the reform that is required. Now, we need to go back to why the Glenister case came about at all. Between 2001, uh, which is when the Scorpions were formed, and the Polokwane Conference of the ANC in December 2007, that was the conference where Jacob Zuma uh, won the race for the presidency of the ANC and then subsequently, two years later, became the president of the country. In that period, we had an ace called the Scorpions, which was a unit within the National Prosecuting Authority. And the National Prosecuting Authority is enjoined by the Constitution to act without fear, favor, or prejudice. So that's lots of loyally words for independently. If you are able to act without fear, favor, or prejudice, you are able to act independently. So what is it that you fear? You fear the powerful, and the powerful are not only people who sit on the green benches in Parliament. The powerful can be all sorts of people, people with lots of money, people with lots of gangsters behind them, people with lots of uh, moral clout can be powerful. Heads of churches can be powerful. So if you, if you fear the powerful, then you are not independent. What about favor? What does that mean in this 
sentence meaning independence. You favor when you uh, look after your friends, turn a blind eye to things that are done wrong, do not act even-handedly, then you are favoring some and disfavoring others and you are not being independent in the way that you do your work. And the word prejudice in that phrase, without fear, favor or prejudice, is really prejudice to the public good, to the, to the public wheel, as lawyers like to say, because they like fancy old words. But if the public word, wheel or the public good is prejudiced by the way that the ace works, then the ace is not working as it should. But what we can draw comfort from in relation to the period in which the scorpions operated, and they operated according to a troika system in which the investigative work relating to corruption was done in the same organization as the prosecutorial work. They, they cooperated with each other. They were intelligence driven. They used experts like forensic accountants to, to, to get the work done efficiently and they were able to uh, prosecute people like Jackie Salebi, who was the chief of police in South Africa and the head of Interpol in the world. There is an ace working without fear, favor or prejudice. They also sent uh, Tony Ngani to jail for misleading parliament, a fraud on parliament. And uh, that you don't see happening when the uh, prosecuting, when the ace and the prosecutors in the ace are favoring those in powerful positions in politics. So we know that South Africa has the capacity to do these things properly. But we also know, and uh, Lawson has given you examples of it in his talk, that the, the situation since the demise of the Scorpions, they were closed down because a resolution was taken in Polokwane in December 2007 saying, urgently close down the Scorpions, remove the investigative staff to the police, which is how the Hawks came into, into being, and remove the prosecutorial staff back to the National Prosecuting Authority. That decision did not go down well with, with Mr. Glenister, and he litigated it. He first litigated to try to stop it, and the judges said, uh, you're, you're premature, Mr. Glenister, you must give Parliament you must give the executive branch of government an opportunity to process this request from the ANC. And if you're not happy with it, uh, at the end of the process, you can come back. And that is why the case is called Glenister II, because he did come back. After the, the, the law was changed and the Scorpions were legally closed down and dissolved by the amendment of the NPA Act, and the Hawks were created by the amendment of the Saps Act, Mr. Glenister went back to court and said, this is not constitutional, this is not the ace that we need in our pack in South Africa, certainly not the ace we need when Jacob Zuma is the president. And the court, to the surprise of many people, agreed with Mr. Glenister and said that the Hawks in their original incarnation did not measure up to the criteria that the law requires of them in order to be an effective and efficient anti-corruption body, an effective ace. So that is the, the second word that you have to remember. Remember, the phrase you have to remember is corruption with impunity. That's, that's what we are on about here. And the criteria that were set by the Constitutional Court in a manner which binds the state. It's not a, if you, if you like, please, please make sure that these uh, attributes are in your ace. It's a, 
question of you are obliged. Whichever way you do it, you are obliged to be what we like to call STIRS compliant. Now, STIRS is just a... It's because we are big stirrers that we thought of it this way. But STIRS is an acronym for the five main features of a good ace, an ace that is at the top of the pack. And the, the, the word STIRS stands for specialized, which Lawson likes to say dedicated, but we, we're not going to argue about that. It's just you can't really start an acronym called STIRS with a D. It doesn't work. <laughs> so specialized is the, the first attribute. The second, the T, is trained, properly trained staff. When the Scorpions were started, they were sent, the recruits were sent to the FBI and to Scotland Yard to get the best training available. <laughs> the Hawks don't go anywhere near there. <laughs> the third letter in STIRS is, is the all-important one. That's why it's in the middle of the acronym. That's independence. Independence from political influence and political interference. Independence from control by the executive branch of government. That is the, the, the primary criterion. And uh, all of the learning is, is uh, well, it's uncontroversial that independence is what needs to happen. The R in STIRS stands for resources. Resources that are guaranteed and are adequate to enable the, the ACE to do its job properly. And Lawson touched on this in, in, in his discussion of what goes on in Hong Kong. And uh, the formula that they've come up with in Hong Kong is actually very interesting. They don't have an argument about how much money to spend on their ICAC, as it is called, the Independent Commission Against Corruption. They have a, a formula that says X percent of the, uh, of the budget must go to our anti-corruption entity, and that's it. Nobody argues about it. You know how much the budget is. The set percentage goes off. I can't remember the amount. I think it's four... Uh, maybe even smaller, but they, they, they have never been short of, of funding in, in Hong Kong. The final and most important, and this is the one that Lawson didn't touch on because it is actually where we part ways. The final S in STIRS stands for security of tenure of office. And... What, what you need to watch as civil society, engaged, participatory citizens is this particular criterion for the new ACE that needs to come. Because if it does not have security of tenure of office, the ACE will be as useful to us as the scorpions were. Why were the Scorpions closed down? Well, Gwedi Montashi, who was then the Secretary General of the ANC, said they were closed down because they were taking too much interest in senior ANC figures. He said it quite openly and blatantly. And that is not a good reason to close down an ACE. And it is something that needs to be avoided in the future. So, if you are creating a stirs compliant ACE in order to get South Africa out of the corruption with impunity hole in which we find ourselves at the moment, then you need to use your political imagination and your uh, dedication to a better South Africa to come up with something that sees to it that the STIRS criteria are preserved in the new uh, constitutionally compliant Glenister II tick the boxes ace that we need. 
And having studied the, uh, the inwardness of this particular criterion, we recognize that creating a new piece of ordinary statute like the Scorpion statute just won't cut it because a simple majority in Parliament will make it possible if the heat is turned up too much for the politicians who don't like being investigated for their corruption to simply close down the new ACE. So what is needed is some form of entrenchment of the ACE that makes it more difficult to close it down. And that is why Accountability Now has been advocating the creation of a new Chapter 9 institution, which we like to call the Integrity Commission because it's a nice positive name. We did start calling it the Anti-Corruption Commission or the Independent Commission Against Corruption. And then we realized that the acronym for that in Afrikaans was not very polite. And so we changed the name to Integrity Commission. And if this is done by way of a very short and simple amendment of Chapter 9 of the Constitution and by passing enabling legislation, which will be the equivalent of the Public Protector Act or the uh, Auditor General Act, you will have a situation where in order to close down the Integrity Commission, it will be necessary to have a two-thirds majority in Parliament. That is because Chapter 9 institutions enjoy that enhanced status in our constitutional uh, setup. And it's, it's, it's for that reason that accountability now has been advocating the creation of a new Chapter 9 institution, which we call the Integrity Commission. You can give it any name you like. The name is not important. The attributes, the criteria, is what is important. I have to tell you that because of the way the various branches of government interact with each other, the court was careful in Glenister II on St. Patrick's Day 2011, it's such a long time ago, it was careful to say that it would not prescribe to the other branches of government how the new ace, the ace replacing Hawks Mark I, would be configured. What it said was that Parliament which makes the laws, must take the reasonable decision of a reasonable decision maker in the circumstances. And it can do that in any way it sees fit as long as it complies with the five stirs criteria which I have now drummed into your head so repeatedly that you are getting tired of the word stirs. The, the, um, the Zuma administration had absolutely no interest in doing this, and I think uh, anybody who has been following the evidence emerging at the Zondo Commission and at the PIC Commission and at the Nugent Commission recognizes why it is that the Zuma administration had no appetite for a Sturz compliant ACE. But the Ramaphosa administration has unfortunately not seized this nettle yet. The political will to do so is still in the process of being generated and my job here today is to encourage everybody in the room to become a catalyst for generating the necessary political will. Because corruption is not a legal problem, it's a political problem. It's a political problem because if you do not have the political will to do what is necessary structurally and operationally 
to deal with corruption effectively and efficiently in your country. You can have the fanciest ace on earth and you can populate it with deployed cadres of the National Democratic Revolution and you will get exactly nowhere with stamping out corruption among those cadres. So understand that when we say political will, it is not only the political will to make the changes necessary that will uh, bring into being what is envisaged by the Constitutional Court in Glenister II and by CASAC a few days before Glenister II, um, but also in the follow-through that happens. And you, you need to be careful about appointment procedures. You need to be careful about oversight accountabilities. All of the Chapter 9 institutions report to Parliament. They do not report to the executive branch of government. Parliament is a multi-party parliament under the rule of law in terms of our constitution, and that means that opposition members are also being exercising oversight, and they are able in the oversight process to hold to account anybody who seeks to paint outside the lines in the way that the new ACE is run. So, question time in March 2019. New President Ramaphosa taking questions from parliamentarians. The chief whip of the Inkata Freedom Party puts up his hand and says, Mr. President, has your administration not given consideration to the creation of an anti-corruption entity to investigate and prosecute corruption via the establishment of a Chapter 9 institution, uh, an integrity commission, if you like. And instead of saying no, we're very happy with the Hawks and we're very happy with the... various entities that Lawson listed. The only one he left off the list is SARS. I don't know if he's allergic to rogue units or what, but SARS also investigates corruption in relation to tax. Tax evasion can be regarded as a form of corruption. So the, the response of the president at question time in parliament on your television screens was very instructive. Who can remember what he said? You're all engaged, participative citizens. Come on. I'll give you five bucks if you can tell me what he said. Ten bucks. (laughs) Somebody's holding out for a higher bid. What he said was, that is a very refreshing idea. Give me the opportunity to mull it over. Interesting. But then what did he do when he'd finished his mulling? He created the investigative directorate of the National Prosecuting Authority, where Hermine Cronier, she comes from Elsie's River, so her name is Hermine. She's not related to Harry Potter, and she doesn't live under the stairs. And she's not called Hermione either. Hermine Cronier has been put in charge of looking into all of the skeletons that fall out of the cupboard when Zondo and PIC and Nugent do their work. And unfortunately, giving investigative capacity to the National Prosecuting Authority in respect of matters of corruption is illegal. And it's illegal because the investigative capacity that resided in the National Prosecuting Authority was put there by the Scorpions legislation, and it has been removed by the repeal of the Scorpions litigation. Uh, Sorry, legislation. And you can bet your bottom dollar that when the first state capturer, big wig, that is brought to trial by 
the investigative directorate of Hermin Cronier, gets to court, he's going to say, excuse me, the, the, the unit that is investigating me is an unconstitutional body and its work is a nullity because law and conduct, which is inconsistent with the Constitution, is invalid. And the invalidity of the investigative directorate is much more than arguable. It is an easy argument to make. Parliament has taken away the National Prosecuting Authority's investigative capacity in respect of corruption, and it is not the President's job to change that law. If that is going to be changed, then it has to be done by Parliament. The President is the head of the executive. He is not a legislative uh, entity in any way, shape or form. So, in fact, he is taking us down what Afrikaans people call a dwalspoor, a, a dead end, a cul-de-sac in French. I don't know what the German expression for a cul-de-sac is. Help us. What is a German, a Durtlopstraat, yeah. Yeah, is there a German expression you're going to help us, or are you just going to look beautiful and leave it at that? I'm thinking about it. Okay, you can come back to us when you're ready. We'd like to have it in as many languages as we can, because it is a disaster. It is a disaster that resources will be put into a body that is an unconstitutional body, when in fact what we need is positive mulling of the, of the integrity commission idea and of the uh, legislative program that is required in order to, 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 to bring to fruition the implementation of the highest court in the land's decision in Glenister II back in 2011. We couldn't do it before Jacob Zuma left office because he was going to block it for sure. And we are still not getting it right because the political will to do so has not been generated. Now, a lot of people, when I say we need an, an integrity commission, say to me, but geez, we've had enough commissions. We've had Zondo, we've had uh, Nugent, we've, we, we've had Mahoro, we've, we, we've even had Freddy Jinwala telling us that uh, uh, our friend Vusi uh, um, Piccoli was actually a good guy, but he got fired anyway. And in fact, the, the seeds of uh, mendacious Menzi Simbalani. His mendacity was, was revealed in that inquiry, and he was fired or he was removed from office by the Constitutional Court because he was not a fit and proper person to be the leader of the National Prosecuting Authority. But that's, that's another story altogether. And the answer is a very simple answer. I can agree with those who express dismay at so many commissions producing so little, but these are commissions of inquiry. And a commission of inquiry is a tool of the executive branch of government which is used to investigate a complex uh, factual matrix with a view to establishing what the facts are and to making recommendations. And the findings of fact and the recommendations of a commission of inquiry bind nobody. They're there on a take-it-or-leave-it basis, and that's not what we need in relation to the combating of corruption. Definitely not. What we need is effective and efficient uh, anti-corruption machinery of state that is able to end the culture of impunity that is abroad in the land, that is able to promote trust in a prosperous future for South Africa, that is able to fuel the confidence of those who are sitting with money washing around in their, uh, in, in their current or short-term money market accounts to actually open the new factory that creates the new jobs that gets the young back into work rather than uh, sitting at the side of the road hoping to get a job 
on a casual basis for a day or two. So a, an integrity commission is not a commission of inquiry. It is a standing commission under Chapter 9 of the Constitution with a constitutional mandate to, well, we're not as ambitious as, as Lawson. We say to investigate and prosecute the, the corrupt. We, and we're talking about grand corruption. We're not talking about uh, cool drink money here. The idea of including in the mandate of such a, a body the uh, fa fancy add-ons that the, um, the, the Hong Kong system suggests is a good idea. The idea of giving it a, a preventative role as well as an investigative and prosecutorial role. And the idea of, uh, of educating. All of those can be incorporated as a matter of the political will of Parliament. But the essence of a Chapter 9 Integrity Commission that deals with the problem on the table, corruption with impunity, is that the, uh, 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 the problem is addressed by investigating and prosecuting in a stirs compliant fashion. I think I've taken up more time than I deserve. And I repeated Lawson in different words, but I think, I think that um, oh, there's one other thing that I should say. How do you go about making, and if you like the idea, how do you, as ordinary people, make it happen? And the answer is that you make a noise about it, you uh, get parliamentarians interested in uh, legislation that is required for it. Uh, there's draft legislation on the Accountability Now website on its uh, Integrity Commission page. So if you, if you uh, have a, a parliamentarian who says, I'd be interested in doing a private member's bill on this, and you say, well, there's a precedent, there's a, a first draft waiting for you to, uh, to work on it, and you can have fun. And uh, getting a private member's bill going is actually a good civil society initiative. Perhaps the Catholics can think about it, because the problem with a private member's bill is that it gets scotched very often by the ANC uh, majority in Parliament. But you can embarrass the ANC uh, majority in Parliament if it sees fit to scotch a, a, an integrity uh, commission uh, bill on the basis that it, uh, it, it thinks that the Hawks are doing a jolly fine job and that the investigative directorate of the NPA is a wonderful way, uh, a, a wonderful way forward. And really, when, when you think about state capture, you see uh, estimates in the in the in the press that veer between one and a half trillion rand. Uh, that's that's the, uh, the the way that uh, some academics have looked at it, and half a trillion rand, which is the way the rose-colored glasses that the president wears, likes to look at it. Either way, it's a hell of a lot of money. And to vote an extra 2.4 billion is, is, is like hitting a battleship with a, with a pea shooter. It's not going to have much effect. Really does need a sea change in the attitude of government to corruption with impunity to get to the point. So you, 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 uh, you make a bumper sticker that says Chapter 9 Integrity Commission now, please, Cyril. You organize petitions in your civil society organizations. You engage with the uh, members of parliament who have to actually do the decision-making on, on the, uh, uh, the, the entire notion. And 
Um, it's even possible to support litigation that is aimed at forcing a change in the current system that we can revisit uh, the Glenister uh, litigation. I think that the last Glenister case is eminently revisitable because the court was not prepared to consider, not prepared to even consider that the police are corrupt, that the hawks are corrupt, and that Jacob Zuma and his cabinet were corrupt. They weren't <laughs> prepared to consider that. Well, they all know now that they should have considered that, and they may be prepared to revisit uh, uh, decisions that they took in relation to the lo location of the ACE uh, within the police. It is futile to put your anti-corruption unit in the most corrupt institution in South Africa, which is the South African Police Service. The man at the head, at the pinnacle, at the top of the pyramid, is a man called Becky Chele. He was the subject of a board of inquiry which recommended that he be investigated for corruption, for negotiating leases for police headquarters in Pretoria and in Durban at three times the going rate for leases at that time. He's never been investigated, and he should be, but he's the boss there. Who, who in that organisation is going to to investigate the boss, not with the levels of independence that the police enjoy. Uh, enjoy. It's, not, it's not even possible. So there's a lot to be done, but it's not an impossible task. And I hope that uh, next time I'm invited here, yeah, I'm invited to discuss the progress of the Integrity Commission. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe at cplo.org.za.